everybody, Jimmy Smith. Today on the MMA on SiriusXM podcast, I go over the Cain Velasquez case with Jen Brown and Francie Hakes, who have released an audio series on Audible titled Breaking Justice, the Cain Velasquez story on Unlocking the Cage. Plus, RJ Clifford and Dean Thomas catch up with newly crowned PFL featherweight champ Brendan Lockney to discuss the million-dollar prize beef with Charles Rosa and plans for the 2023 season. My former co-worker at Bellator, we showed some great Mexican dinners. I won't even get into them because I'm sworn to secrecy. Jen Brown, right? Jen Brown, along with yeah. uh, Francie Hakes, did an amazing uh, series of, of, of uh, great journalism, actually. It's on Audible. It's called Breaking Justice, the Cain Velasquez story. So, Jen, I know you. You know me. What drew you into this particular story? Um, was it a connection to AKA? Was it the the the... the the layers of the story itself. What drew you to this story in particular? Well, like you, Jimmy, you know, I've been covering MMA for many years. Gosh, it's been almost, I'm dating myself here, but almost 15 years. And I've been a fan of the sport. I loved being able to tell stories and the humanizing elements. And um, when this story broke, uh, and I'm sure you would say the same thing, Kane Velasquez has had a stellar reputation in the MMA you know, community. He's not, you know, someone who you've really ever heard about getting into trouble. So when this story broke, or we heard that Cain Velasquez had been arrested for attempted first degree murder, I, I certainly thought there must be more to the story because everything I'd ever heard was that he was this great guy. He was a great family man. He was a great father and, and someone you could really count on. Um, and would you agree, Jimmy, real quick before I continue? Like, did you hear those kind of same things? Because I was shocked when I heard it. Never a knucklehead, never, you know, and we all know. Oh, Jen, like you and I know, like, yeah, this so and so is getting a fight every week. Whether it's hushed up or not, whether it gets out or not, we know who's a knucklehead and who isn't. And Kane, sure. never on that list ever. Not once. Yeah. yeah. So so when I heard that, um, I thought there must be more to the story. And then obviously more information started coming out. Right. We started to learn that uh, the first news came out, said that um, he that there was a family member that had or, you know, close relative had been sexually abused by this man. And then it later has come out. Right. That it was his four year old son. And so we start learning more and more of these details. And I just you know, I was a criminology major. So before uh, I got into broadcasting, I actually aspired to work in crime. And, and it was an interest that I had. And so once this started um, gaining more traction, I started reading up on it. I really thought it was something the public would be interested in. And so insert Francie Hakes, my amazing uh, co-producer and co-narrator. And, you know, Francie and I had known each other for years. She's a former federal prosecutor and someone who had specialized for 16 plus years in crimes against children and, and really had an expertise in this field. And so I, I went to Francie and I said, hey, do you think this is a story that we could tell together? And thankfully, uh, she said yes, and um, you know they ha she had a relationship through XG Productions with um, Audible, and Audible stepped up and said, "Yeah, we would like to help you guys tell that story." So we really kind of started after maybe two days in of hearing that he had been arrested. We started, you know, doing our research and diving into this case, and um, and we just launched it December first here on Audible, a ten part series called Breaking Justice, as you said, and uh, we really. You know, it was it was an interesting crime of passion for me or a, a project of passion for me to really um, 
take uh, you know take off the reporter hat a little bit in terms of being in front of the camera and put on a producer hat with Francie and really do some investigative journalism and, and researching what really went into this case. And um, I'm really pleased with the way it turned out. Um, we're excited for the public to hear it. And uh, it's got a lot of twists and turns. So certainly melding the people who love crime and the people who love sports, it, it kind of hits all those buttons for um, you know those, those podcast fan listeners. So, Francie, I have a question for you. Now, you were a federal prosecutor for 16 years, if I'm reading this correctly. Uh, basically, as long as Jen's been in MMA, which is a long time. So, what I'm curious about is we know the, the backstory. We know the basics of it. Kane shot the guy he believed murdered, uh, uh, molested his son. So, we know the basics of it. But what you say when I, when I listened to this that was very interesting, you said this case is unique in so many ways. And I found that strange because so many people say they would do what Kane did. And you said on this, this show, you said this combination of things is extremely rare. What did you mean? Yeah, Jimmy, th thanks for having us on. Really appreciate it. It is extremely rare. I was a state prosecutor for six years and a federal prosecutor for just over 10. And I've never seen a case where you had four cases sort of going on in confluence. You've got two civil and two criminal that are all interrelated. You've got witnesses from one case and the other case and then civil depositions and interrogatories. This is incredibly rare. I've never seen it myself. I've never even heard of it. So when Jen first came to me and we started hearing about all the things that were going on in the Galarte case and the case against Kane and in the two uh, outstanding civil cases, we just absolutely had to dive in because this just doesn't happen. And vigilanteism, uh, as we're sometimes calling it on the podcast, which we do not support in any way, I want to make that clear. Um, vigilanteism is rare. It certainly happens. And, and most people in Kane's position or who would be in Kane's position say that they would do something like this. But it's actually rare for people to take the law into their own hands. And of course, it's illegal. And so it was a really interesting dive for us. One of the interviews that Jen and I had that I think listeners would be most interested in was with a man named Jody Plochet, whose father murdered the man who had kidnapped and sexually assaulted Jody when Jody was a child. And that murder took place live on television in Louisiana. Yeah. yeah. And we've I got a really that. long interview with Jody, who has a... I don't want to spoil it, so I'm not going to tell you what he thinks about vigilantism, <laughs> but it's not what you might think. So uh, another thing I want to ask you with your legal experience, look, if I can <laughs> devour, devour the quote of a great man, if I can slander my own environment, uh, a lot of MMA fans, free Cade and all this stuff that you go, guys, legally he's in hot water, right? They, they, they love Kane and support Kane. And they're, why? I'm a fan of Kane and love Kane. Great. Do you understand the legal implications of what's going on here? And the vast majority have absolutely no idea. What do you wish maybe most fans of Kane or people with free Kane shirts on knew legally about this situation? What is the thing you're running into? Like the thing that you wish more fans knew? Well, that's a great question. I think for us on our on Breaking Justice, the Cain Velasquez story, we're focused really on fairness and equity. What is fair that's going on in the California justice system? And it's very easy for people to say, free Cain, we like him. Um, we think that he was taking vengeance on someone who hurt his son. We think as a principal, we support that. That's what a lot of people think. But of course, in this country, 
You simply can't take the law into your own hands. Think about if everybody did that. And what about someone who's been falsely accused of a crime? We all know someone like that. So you can't just take the law into your hands. You just have to let the system work. But what Jen and I have really focused on is the comparison between the treatment of the two men here, the two key figures, Harry Galarte and Cain Velasquez. And the treatment was completely disparate. And so Jen and I talked to several people, including big John McCarthy and others, who all said they understand that Cain Velasquez allegedly has committed a violent crime and has to be held accountable for that. But when they say free Cain, what they meant was that he should be treated with the same equity that Galarte was treated with. And he was let out after about 48 hours in jail with no bail and very light restrictions. And in fact, Jimmy, as we're recording your or as we're interviewing on your podcast right now, Galarte petitioned the judge to be able to be around children over the holidays. He can be around children over the holidays simply because they're in his own family. I don't know what judges are thinking, but what I want your listeners to know is that someone with a sexual interest in children, which Galarte may have, is not limited to people that are outside their family. In fact, most children are abused by people inside their circle of trust and even in their family. So there's a lot of inequity going on in these cases. I'm speaking right now to Jen Brown, Francie Hakes, uh, an incredible project of theirs, Breaking Justice, the Cain Velasquez story. It's on Audible. It's excellent. I have listened to it. Jen, a question I have for you. One thing that keeps coming up when this bail hearing kept coming up, the one thing was... Kane shot at somebody on a public street and he shot the wrong guy. He shot a car full of people. So the judge kept saying, and the DA kept saying this, reckless disregard for human life. That he shot on a public street, he could have shot anybody walking down the street. He rammed the guy with his car, that car could have gone to a truck full of people. This idea that Kane did something, that the act itself showed the opposite of what you and I know. You know, Kane's a calm guy, he's a really nice guy. The judge is going, yeah, but he did something on a street that could have killed or hurt dozens of people. That's why he didn't get bail. We heard that over and over. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, it's interesting because we dive into this quite a bit on the podcast of this constant refusal of bail for Kane. You know, something I'll point out that's interesting is this same judge uh, years earlier let a suspected murderer out on a hundred thousand dollar bond. So when we talk about the disparate treatment and these decisions being made within the California justice system, you know, we're taking a hard look at that and pointing out these inequities. But, you know, this judge that constantly said, you know, it was a disregard, you know, at that time for human life. So then we start to ask, so why did this happen? So why is it when we talk to every person who knows Cain Velasquez, and we do, we sit down with his wife, we sit down with Cain, well, we talk to Cain in jail, we talk to his coach, you know, Javier at AKA, we, we talk to best friends and teammates, everyone says the same thing. This is not Cain. He's not that guy. So then we start to look at, well, what could have been some of the other reasons why he allegedly could have done this act, right? And so that's when we start bringing on CTE experts and talking to, you know, someone about the brain and how the brain functions and how the brain might function under stress or if you have, um, uh, you know, different impulse con control issues. Um, we talked to... Um, uh, another expert uh, talking about criminal justice in California and how that judge is making that decision. Now, fortunately, 
uh, for Kane and his family at his preliminary hearing, which just happened recently, which, uh, you know, MMA fans have probably heard Kane was released um, and did get bail. And what the difference between what those two judges said, you have one judge saying it's a disregard for human life, it's a reckless act, and it's a danger to the public, he needs to stay behind bars. This other judge, you know, says, uh, I believe that this was a, uh, a he that Kane has a strong argument for a case of crime of passion, which is interesting. And so, what the argument it seems like he made, and Francie step in because Francie is the legal expert here, and I uh, am pulling in my criminology for four years at Florida, and thus that what I've learned here on you know this this journey of this podcast. But he said the judge effectively said, you know, I believe that you want to be with your family, you don't want to jeopardize that. I'm going to let you. Ask out to be with your family, please don't prove me wrong. And Kane was released on bail. And so again, it's so interesting to see the different perspectives of the different justices in the same court uh, in California, the decisions made uh, to let Harry Galarte out. And, and what I wanna know, and this is my question, and we asked this question, why is Harry Galarte not considered a a danger to the public? You know, in the same way that Kane would be considered a danger to the public. This is a, a man, a 43-year-old man, who they found enough evidence to charge him with a crime of sexual molestation of a child. You know, so it's not there. You know, they have what they feel like a case against him. And in the district attorney, which I thought was interesting, and I asked Francie this, and I'll ask Francie this on, you know, now is Francie, why? Uh, why would a judge make a decision? A district attorney was saying we should hold Harry Galarte. We believe he's a danger. But that judge went against the district attorney and allowed him out on no bail. How is he not a danger to society? You know, Jen and Jimmy, that's such a great question. I wish the judges had listened to me more. I absolutely advocated lots of things, lots of times, and lots of judges just disregarded what I said. I think that, Jimmy, one of the really most interesting things that we delve into in the podcast, Breaking Justice, is about the delays in Cain Velasquez's case. I mean, he waited more than eight months in jail to get a preliminary hearing, which as far as I know from law school is what they call unconstitutional. It is not constitutional to hold someone without a probable cause hearing, without a judge making a determination of probable cause, without a grand jury indictment, and certainly without a trial. Eight, more than eight months he waited and a judge let him out. If he'd had that preliminary hearing one month in, would he have been home with his family seven months ago? Maybe, but it's not constitutional. And I don't know what's going on in California justice, but it does not sound equitable or just to me. Here's my question for you uh, on the legal side of it, if you don't mind. Um, when I look at this, when obviously we've been following the case from the beginning as well, just like just like everybody else has. So, Francie, let me ask you: When the judge, when this came up, and the district, when Kane's defense attorney said, "Well, Galarte," and the judge went, "That's not my case." I, I, you know, you guys can tie together these two cases and make a story, a narrative around these two cases. The judge said, "I didn't let that guy go. Some other judge did. That's not my problem." Is she right or wrong? Well, kind of both, really, Jimmy. I mean, she's right and she's wrong. Yes, that's not her case to make a decision on. But whether or not justice is in equally applied to everyone, we have something called the Equal Protection Clause to the Constitution. And what that means is we're all supposed to enjoy the exact same circumstances. If we get into trouble with the law, we should all three of us should be treated equally no matter what. 
And in this case, Galarte and Velasquez were being treated very differently. And the judge in the Galarte case, what Jen, what Jen said was absolutely true. A year or two ago had let someone out who was arrested for murder and let them out on a hundred thousand dollars bond. So to me, it's a little whining without a cause when she says, oh, well, that other one's not my case. It's who is she looking out for? Is she really looking out for the public? Because she said Kane was dangerous. Well, what about the judge who's looking out on Harry Galarte's case and said Harry Galarte is not dangerous? How does anyone say someone who will molest a four-year-old right under the nose, allegedly molest a four-year-old right under the nose of his own mother in a daycare setting isn't dangerous to children? It, it, it shocks the conscience, Jimmy, I think. Is it one of those things, and of course I am talking to uh, Jen Brown, whom I know very well, and Francie Hakes, who I'm getting to know very well. She clearly knows a lot about the law, about their project, Breaking Justice, the Cain Velasquez story. It's out on Audible right now. Please check it out. It is absolutely wonderful. Uh, Jen, is it a little bit in, in, in you know, as, as a fight person, which I am and you are, with steroids, right? The number one thing here is we'll just look at him. We'll just look at this guy. Kane's a big, scary-looking, tattoos on his chest. He is a giant. I've met Kane many times, and he is a big dude. Wrestled heavyweight, a big guy. He beats people up for money. Is all of that working against him when it comes to a judge who it hasn't been around Kane like we have and know that he's a nice guy? They see a gigantic brown monster. Let's say it. Is that a little bit of an issue that what he did for a living and who he is, did that work against him in your opinion? Well, we did. We discussed that very point on the show, Jimmy, because uh, it seems quite possibly it is so. I mean, certainly when you look at him, he is scary. He's got the brown pride, pride tattoo, across, you know, just like you said. And so you wonder if uh, the judge, you know, something that's really interesting to point out kind of early on, <clears throat> excuse me, in the process, Kane um, supporters supposedly, uh, well, the, the judge asked for some extra security. And so for the judge to go on the record and be asking for some extra security, uh, because what I believe the, the report or the article that I read was that maybe it had to do with feeling threatened by some of Kane's supporters. You know, you, you start talking about that. And Francie's immediate response when I ask her about that is, you know, that's a conflict. And, and you know, so if, if there's this perceived you know, a perception of this big, bad MMA fighter. How can a judge look at him if they're asking already for security, for fear of retaliation or whatever the reason she might be doing? You know, it just, in my mind, it seems like it creates a conflict for sure. Uh, so on the legal side, Francie, <laughs> I, I've been speaking to, uh, fortunately, one of my, my teammates here in jiu-jitsu in Florida is is a public defender. He's, he's, he's a public defender here in Florida. And I just, you know, pick his brain about this case whenever I could. And first thing he says is, I, you know, I'm a, a, a public defender in Florida. I don't know what California law has to say about it. And when we talk about the chances of for, for Cain Velasquez, and he goes, the problem is deciding how much they can keep why he did it out of court. If they can keep, why did he shoot at these people? But that guy, did he shoot at these people? How much they can keep out and how much they can keep in. One of the things you talked about initially when I originally um, started talking about this project, you said this confluence of cases. How much can the prosecutor keep out of jurors' ears about why he was there and why he did his motivation out of the trial itself? How much can he do in your 
Estimation. That's an excellent point. And certainly that will be the DA's office goal will be to keep it completely out of the jury's ears so that they have no idea why Kane did what he did. However, no, well, I say no judge in this country. Jen and I in our investigation in this case have been <laughs> shocked and appalled multiple times by what they're doing out in California. So I say this, um, you know, with an asterisk because I'm not certain, but no judge in this country should disallow Kane from putting forth the one central argument he has. And that is the fastest way to get a case reversed on appeal and brought back is to deny a defendant the rationale or the reason or the motivation behind his crime, because that's what he has. He has a right to present a defense. And Kane's defense in this case is likely going to be that he maybe lost it when he found out that Galarte had gotten out and was running around in the community. And he just thought about how he couldn't protect his son. And he felt like he had to take justice into his own hands because it seemed to him the justice system wasn't working. Now, Jury nullification, all that, those aren't real defenses. But explaining why Kane did what he did is going to be his central defense. And I don't think that a judge should deny him that. It wouldn't work in any other courtroom that I'm aware of. Uh, so when you look at this, and, and, it, and it's fascinating to me, it, it is. And you brought up jury nullification. That's something I've talked about quite a bit on, on, on this show about how basically – Jury saying we don't care if you did or not, we're throwing this out, which is essentially what jury nullification is. And so the idea that that a sympathetic jury is his best way. I haven't heard one single argument, and I've been following this case, not as deeply as you have, but I've been following this case as well. I haven't heard one argument that he wasn't there, didn't do it, didn't pull the trigger. I haven't seen a factual, it was somebody else who looked a lot like Cain Velasquez. It seems to me that all we're seeing as a layman is – he better get a jury that says, boy, I would have done the same thing too. Do you see any other legal way out of that situation from, your, from the distance you are sitting? Well, Jen and I certainly explored this, and we and we talked about the insanity defense on the podcast. And California does have the insanity defense, and it's not what most lay people think, which is sort of you have to be sitting in a corner like a gibbering idiot, you know, sort of drooling and slobbering in order to be considered insane. That's not what it means. It just means that you sort of didn't understand right from wrong at the time of whatever it was that you did, and you really couldn't control yourself. And oftentimes that can be, it's like a crime of passion defense, but it can also be a brain injury kind of defense where we have an FBI profiler on the podcast talking about there being a policeman in your brain. And something like a traumatic brain injury can kind of make that policeman disappear or make that policeman's voice smaller and smaller so that when you're about to make a decision, there's no policeman there to tell you what to do. Um, I do want to say, though, Jimmy, that having listened to your podcast, I think I kind of understand how you guys go about things. And I just wanted to say you're very different from what Jen told me you're going to be like. I mean, you're throwing around terms like jury nullification. <laughs> I mean, I think I heard Jen say something like knuckle dragger. Jen, do you I know, have that right now? Jen, I, the way I am with you, Jen, is very different. And I thought <laughs> I thought that was private conversations. All right, Jen? God. Anyway, yeah, I did go to college, right? Me under the bus right now. <laughs> exactly. That's what we do. But, 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 Jen, I know we don't have a ton of time. We only have a, another couple of minutes because I'm, I'm actually going along with you guys. It's been such an amazing talk. What did you learn, Jen, from this experience that you want fans of Kane, not fans of Kane, people who don't understand the justice system? What do you want them to listen to this uh, series on Audible and learn and understand? What do you want the takeaway to be? 
I think for me, um, you know, I'm a mother. I've got two young boys. Uh, Jimmy, I know you're a parent. I think um, those of us that can sit and hear about something that happens to a child, it's just terrible. It's, it's, it's the unthinkable, right? And so for me as a parent, I'm always wondering is how can I protect my children? How can I make sure something awful doesn't happen to them? I think that one of my motivations in this was not only to understand uh, Kane, what happened, and but, but really is how something like this could happen to a child and what are some of the things that we can do to try to make sure that this type of thing doesn't happen again. And so that was as much of a motivating factor for me is to get that story out, but also to help educate the viewers or listeners on on what are some steps that they can do to protect children and how do we protect? Because that's to me so important. So while you will learn about Kane and his story, we take a hard look at that daycare and we get some bombshell stuff that's unveiled. And I highly recommend that you listen, if not for anything, but for that. But really, it's a sense of a takeaway of how can we protect children. And I think that's one of the most important things we as parents or just society need to do. Well, if you like what you heard today, you want to know more, listen to Jen and Francie's full analysis of this case by listening to Breaking Justice, the Cain Velasquez story available now on Audible. I know Jen. I know her well. I know how diligent she can be. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. PFL featherweight champion after defeating Bubba Jenkins with a fourth round finish November 25th to claim the featherweight title and earn himself $1 million. The very rich Brendan Londane joins us now. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> hey, that was some introduction. Thank you for that. Well, I want to kiss up to you now that you're so wealthy. You know what I mean? Like, that's how I got here, right? It's just like Let me borrow 20. I need to yeah. borrow 20. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was curious, Brandon, because when we got when we had you on before the fight, you know, you're just like, you know, you're you normal guy. I was like, all right, if he wins and becomes a millionaire, the next time he comes on, he's gonna have like a big gold chain, like a grill, like a Gucci like purse over his shoulders. Like, nope, you look exactly the same. T shirt, smile, same old guy. Yeah, so not much changes really. I mean, everyone I mean, I was getting asking loads of questions before, like, what's the first thing you're gonna buy? Like, your life's gonna change so much, and I'm like it's only going to change if you let it change, really. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't let it change one bit. I'm still the same guy, and I will be the same guy. That's good that it happened to you, Brandon, because if it happened to Dean, we'd never see him again. You'd like, never see me again. He'd be gone. He'd be, he'd be, he'd be on his yacht out of here. That money would be gone, and then he'd be back like six months later asking us for money because he spent it all. <laughs> Hell yeah. i get me a squirrel fur coat, boy. I would be balling. <laughs> you'd be balling out. Seriously though, what's 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 the last two weeks been like? I mean, you've like a, a major accomplishment, life changing money. Um, you know, I gotta imagine there's some kind of celebration going on. I'd still be drunk if I were you. Yeah, and it was my birthday yesterday, so oh, it all just got birthday. rolled up. In- nice. Thanks, guys. Um, but yeah, I, I actually I'm halfway across America right now. I'm in New Mexico. Um, I've been driving Route 66 in an RV. That was my. Uh, go-to choice when I won the million. So, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Not very glamorous, but very exciting. 
No, not very excited. I love that. I love the fact that you're doing that. Like, that's my goal in life is to get an RV and drive across the country. But I want to talk to you about something that's a little bit more interesting to me because this kind of hits home for me because I noticed, gentlemen, you've had some beef with Charles Rosa, and I want to know where all this stuff this stems from and how that came about. I don't know who he is. Uh, he just popped up after the fight, being super bitter, telling me how he's been in the UFC 10 years and he's never been able to make that money, so he should get it and not me. I'm like, bro, who are you? Who cares about <laughs> you? Like, shut up. Like, you just sound so salty and so bitter. You've not won a fight in years. Go and win some fights first, you know what I mean? Like, just a super bitter guy. I don't know where he came from, but if he wants to come over to the PFL, I'll happily slap his ass and send him back to wherever he came from. <laughs> now, so obviously that beef hasn't cleared away. I mean, what's the, what's the latest on it? I mean, have you, has it kind of squashed or are you guys still back and forth going at it? Well, like, it's not a beef. It's a salty-ass guy reaching out saying, oh, he should have made a million out of I don't know who he is. You can't really call it beef. It's just a real, real salty guy saying how he deserves a million and not me. I'm like, wow, you really that bitter, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. All right. So now let's take us. Let's go back to the fight against Bubba Jenkins. I mean, obviously you won fourth round TKO. Was it was, was it the type of fight that you expected? I remember you talking about, listen, it's not a wrestling match. It's an MMA fight. I got some answers for him. You proved that. But was it exactly what you expected? Yeah. Uh, sort of. His boxing was a bit better than I thought. But I actually I didn't expect him to not take me down once in four rounds. Uh, you know, I thought maybe we'll hit the ground for a bit. But I just executed my game plan to a T. Nobody was beating me on that night. I wanted this belt and this money so much that they could have put three or four opponents in there that night. And I just wouldn't have lost. And uh, just unfortunately, that's with Bubba Jenkins. Because I actually like Bubba. I really do. And it was... Uh, Unfortunately, one of us had to lose. So now what's next for you? Um, do you have, I'm not exactly sure how PFL contracts work. Like, is there a championships clause where you, where you automatically do the next one? Is it just like a normal one where you have X number of fights? Like what's, what's the next, like, you know, six months to a year look like for you, Brendan? I'll be honest. I've not sat with my manager yet. I don't know anything about next year's contract or <laughs> what's happening with it, but I'm meeting him next week. So We'll sit down and decide what, what the next move is. Well, what do you want the next move to be? Do you have, like, a specific opponent in mind? Is it just run it back with PFL? Is there something else you want to do? I'm just so happy to be in my RV, have no <laughs> fights scheduled, and just this PFL six-month turnaround is insane. Like, four fights sure. in six months, it really, really is tough, man. And... uh I've been on the road, I've been training hard and it feels so good to just have that fighting off my mind for a while. So next week when I meet my manager, I'll have more answers. What do you prefer? Do you prefer the like get four fights in six months and then like a long like break before you do it again? Or do you prefer kind of the more traditional mode where you get like two or three fights a year all kind of like spaced out evenly? I don't know what I prefer now. I've done it for two seasons. And so I feel like my body's getting used to it now. So, and obviously it's four big paychecks in six months. So it, it makes a big difference. Uh, I don't know what I prefer, but I'll tell you what, this PFL belt is the hardest belt to get an MMA. I'll tell you that because going through them four fights in such a short period of time against world-class opponents is not easy. 
So compare, like, you don't have to give me numbers. Like, obviously, we know what you made in your last fight, right? The million-dollar grand, grand prize. But this last tournament, right, all the, all the three fights and then the million dollars, how does that compare to the rest of your career financially? I made more in this season than I've made in 15 years of MMA. Wow. Combined. Um, your entire career before. Combined. Wow. Probably, probably double. <laughs> what I've earned wow. in the whole That's so, incredible. What a year. Yeah, time, times are good right now. <laughs> I imagine that RV's got like a helicopter landing on it, maybe a hot tub <laughs> in the back. You get it all souped up? You get the souped up one? Nah, you'd be disappointed in me if I showed you what I'm driving around doing. <laughs> so, who, so, Brandon, who are you with and where are you going and coming from? So, I'm with my girlfriend. We started in Chicago. Um, we went from Chicago to St. Louis, St. Louis to Kansas City, Kansas City to Colorado, Denver, Denver to Colorado Springs, Colorado Springs. I'm now in New Mexico in Albuquerque, and I will finish the drive tomorrow in Arizona, Mesa. You've seen more of America than I've seen in my 39 years on Earth in this one trip. <laughs> <laughs> it's been fun. I really enjoyed it. I've really really enjoyed it it's my last day today really um i'm actually heading to vegas i'm going to be cornering darren till this weekend so i'm going to help him out um but it's been fantastic i've really enjoyed it yeah that's awesome and i also like i appreciate how you're hitting like middle america you're not like oh i'm gonna do new york and then miami and then i'm gonna go straight to la and then san francisco you're like nope give me the heartland let me see that the, the beating heart of america the center part the flyover states well, I fought there. I fought in New York twice. I fought in Vegas a bunch of times. I fought in all the big cities, Miami. So it was like, I, want, I really wanted to see Colorado and see all these sites around this side of the of the, the US. And uh, I'm glad that I did now because it's so different. I mean, mm. I've just drove from Colorado Springs to Santa Fe. And the difference in the city, it's like being in a different country. It really is. Like, you drive five hours in the United States, it's like completely going to the other side of Earth. What's, What's the most interesting? To... Yeah, no. I was yeah. just about to ask that. What's the most out of my interesting mind, Dean? Yeah. <laughs> um, what would you say is the most interesting bit? Chicago was cool. Chicago was cool. Uh, mm. For me, it might even be Santa Fe. Santa Fe, actually, Colorado was was so beautiful as well. Colorado is probably the most beautiful city I've ever seen. Insane. What about what about East St. Louis? Did you go by East St. Louis in the hood? Did we go by East St. Louis? Man, you got like you can't be you like that's like the murder capital of the of the United States. Like you got to go to the murder capital of the United States. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what? It's funny you say that because I actually put a story on when I was in uh, in St. Louis and Bisping actually DM'd me and was like, "Bro, you're in the murder capital of the world." I'm like, Fuck. <laughs> That's why Brendan doesn't have his chain and grill on. He went through the murder capital and didn't get robbed. He actually bought it all. He's just like hiding it so he doesn't get jacked. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? It didn't. St. Louis didn't feel rough to me. It really didn't. No. Mm. Uh, I mean, I guess like, like it depends on any part you go to. Like, I mean, if you in the hood, hood, you're going to know you in the hood, hood. But like well, the rest of the city's cool. If I just knocked out Bubba Jenkins, I'd feel bulletproof, too. I'd be like walking through Watts, just like, what do y'all want? I, you see what I just did? Y'all have ESPN Plus? 
Step off. Yeah, listen, I have no better. Everybody's got guns around there. I keep my mouth closed. <laughs> you're you're already learning. You're already acting like an American, Brendan. Very very wise of you. Well done. Hey, look, uh, congratulations on the big win. After we talked to you before the fight, we're like, we got to get him back on if he wins. You did. Congratulations. Um, it's not very often I root against American wrestlers, but I was rooting for you, Brendan. I'm glad I did. Congrats again. Can't wait to see what you do next. Thanks, fellas. Much appreciated. All right, my man. Take Brendan care, guys. Lawnane. Take it easy. Brendan Lawnane, live from his RV. MMA on Sirius XM is part of the Sirius XM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast. Plus, catch Unlocking the Cage weekdays from 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern and MMA Today Tuesday to Thursday from 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156, and on the SXM app. Sirius XM Podcasts.